If you're tired of bad news, if you need some positivity, if you want to support small businesses, then welcome to Happy Grateful Blessed with Kaysville's own mayor, Tammy Tran. Here, you'll get to see the best of humanity from within Utah's hidden gem, Kaysville City. Every month, you'll discover small businesses, hear unique and incredible stories, and understand the difference you make in this wonderful city. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss a chance to find a new business to support and learn what makes a city like this one work as well as it does. So join us as we explore Happy Grateful Blessed with Tammy Tran. I am here today with Chandra Mucci, and I'm so excited to be with you. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been several years since I've had, had an opportunity to sit down and talk to you. Thank you, Tammy. I'm so happy to be here. Let Go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay. Uh, so uh, my name is Chandra. I am 29 years old. Uh, I went to high school at Davis High uh, in Kaysville, graduated from there. Uh, I am married to my wonderful husband, two dogs and a cat, and we currently live in Centerville. You're in Centerville. Well, I was, you actually, so you grew up in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I've known you since you were pretty young mm -hmm. and was always fascinated by you <laughs> because you're so interesting. You had really unique interests and ideas and you were very well-spoken and just outstanding in terms of paving your own way and making your own path. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I've always found you fascinating. So I'm really excited that you're here. As I was mentioning to you, my husband actually mentioned, oh, Chandra got a new job with the state of Utah. And so that's why I thought, oh, this would be really interesting. Let's find out what you're up to and 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 what you're doing. So catch us up. Okay. Uh, let's see. So uh, I went to uh, college at Snow College, um, two years, loved it down there, um, really, really was into science. I really wanted to go into forensic pathology. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do autopsies. But uh, after coming out of my first two years of college and they said, oh, no, it's going to be 15 years of school total. I went, hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of school. There's a reason all of the forensic pathologists on TV shows have gray hair. It's because that's how long it takes them to get through school. Um, so a long time. Um, so after snow, I actually went to Salt Lake Community College and um, was pursuing mortuary science. So I attended school for two years and uh, participated in an apprenticeship. Um, I didn't end up pursuing that career path just for various reasons. After that, I actually went to 911 dispatch and dispatched for Murray City Police and West Valley City Police for a short time. Um, I worked at Western Governors University for a little while. Uh, let's see. And then um, I actually ended up um, quitting my job at, at WGU because of an unexpected uh, medical problem, which we will talk about in a little while. Uh, and then I got hired with the Utah legislature for their 2022 general session uh, and got to be in the trenches with all of them. And it was extraordinary to watch, truly. It's interesting, isn't it? It restored my faith a lot in our, in our government, I have Good. to say, for that. Um, and now I work for the Department of Corrections. Well, that is a really interesting path. I remember as a child, a mm -hmm. teenager, that you wanted to be a forensic pathologist That's and true. a mortician. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that. It was kind of unique. Most girls especially... That's really not their career goal necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I anyway, I just have always found you very interesting. As far as working with the legislature, how did that come about? Okay, so um, this is one of those weird things where I never had a burning passion to get into government. I was captain of my debate team my senior year of high school, but I never, everyone on my team wanted to get into law, wanted to get into politics. And mm -hmm. I just was like, this is just fun for me. So I didn't really have a burning desire for it. But in, um, in 2021, I, th uh, I think, you might have to edit this bit out. Let me see. I can't. So one of the fun parts about ECT is my memory is not great anymore. So let's see. Um, 
if, if it was for the 2022 general session. Yeah. So um, I had a hospital stay in um, right before the general session and I had to quit my job and um, was was recovering. And my husband and I were looking for a part time job. OK. And I could not for the life of me find anyone that would be willing to take me for a part time. And I was either severely overqualified or they were or it was not something that I was able to do. And because I had just come out of the hospital, we were trying to find something that had pretty good hours. And, you know, mm -hmm. we weren't trying to push me really hard. And I this job popped up on uh, the government web on the government jobs website. And it said we're looking for a legislative assistant for the general session. And I applied and they actually said, we'd love to have you. And I went and did that. that well, it. It, it's fascinating, isn't it? And I'm really glad to hear that you said it restored your faith in, in the government, system, in mm -hmm. the government, especially here in Utah, because I think we've got great lawmakers. We do. We do. And and that's neat that you were able to participate in that. You did mention hospitalization. And so the other thing that I find really interesting, and I'm so grateful that you're willing to come and share your story, mm -hmm. is because life for most of us is not simple and it's not easy. And, and our path doesn't doesn't take us where we thought we would go, but it really surprises us with some things that we're able to learn. And so as I was looking, you know, kind of stalking on social media, um, I noticed some posts that you had shared. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to talk to you a lot about mental health and the journey, because especially in this world that we live in, you know, post-COVID, oh, yeah. I, I, I read a statistic that the lieutenant governor actually um, put out, and she said, I think seven out of 10 women don't have friends outside their immediate family. Mm -hmm. And and there was a, a number for men as well. And it really struck me as an interesting number because especially for women, I think we tend to be more social. At least I think women are really social. Mm -hmm. But I think that the problem has been that there's been so much isolation Ooh. during during COVID, even leading up to COVID and then post-COVID. And, 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 and just isolation in general, we're, we're, we're surrounded by people, but we still feel so lonely and we've got these struggles that people don't see. So mm -hmm. anyway, that introduction is what I would like you to lead out with okay. and talk about your story. Okay. So um, my whole life uh, as, a, as a child, as you can figure out by my interest in all the things that were morbid and macabre as a kid, um, I was a quirky kid. I was strange. Um, I picked up speech very quickly and was well-spoken from a pretty young age, which Absolutely. delighted all the adults. But all my peers were like, you know, like, okay, calm down there. And they didn't like it because it would make them feel inferior. Which right, was, you were too smart for them. Which was not my intent. Like, um, But I look back on my childhood and there are so many things that I did and that I experienced that I, uh, it, it didn't, it should have raised a red flag. But at the time, I, this stuff was not really well understood. It wasn't until my youngest brother was born in 2001. And when he was really young, they said, he's got autism. They said, he's on the spectrum. And they diagnosed him pretty quickly and they got him into like speech therapy and they told my family at one point, we're not really sure uh, what his capabilities are going to be. So be prepared. And Brock has flourished into an amazing young man. I mean, he's 19 now, um, works a job, you know, ha has income, can manage his daily life. Like, I'm so proud of that boy. But it wasn't until he was born that my mom started looking between the two of us and went, you guys kind of act similarly. And not only do you act similarly, but I was able to understand my brother through Almost anything. Really? I, mean, I have a childhood memory of walking into Costco. And the second we walked into Costco, we started flailing and kind of like whining and crying. And my mom, my poor mother with four kids is like, come on, man, calm down. She's trying to get him to stop. And I said, mom, he doesn't like it in here because it's really echoey and it's really cavernous. And it's like, whatever. And she looks at me and she goes, no, that's not it. I'm like, no, that's that's what it is, because I feel and, the same and, way. And you knew. Uh -huh. um, which I still don't like Costco. It just feels like a cave. 
I don't know. It, it does. It's not my favorite. And it's a warehouse. That's the whole spiel. I, I got it. Um, but uh, I didn't get my autism diagnosis until I was 25. Oh, okay. At 25, you were 25. diagnosed. Wow. And it was only because my, when my husband and I got married, our health care changed over and I had to find all new providers. And I went to this new provider. And when I was in my early 20s, they diagnosed me as bipolar. So they right. were dishing out medication like left and right. I mean, I'm talking like alkaline metals, lithium, that whole thing. And they were kind of working in some ways, but they were just not working in other ways. And I went to this new doctor who's, who is at the University of Utah, and he's delightful. And he looked at me and through my many pages of medical, and he said, I really don't think that you're bipolar. Do you mind if we start over, if we start from the ground up? And I said, sure. We went through this big diagnostic thing, and he looks up and he goes, you are definitely not bipolar. Which surprised me because when you get labeled with something like bipolar, you sort of it's a label, it, don't you? Yeah, mm -hmm. and it changes how you see yourself, and it changes how you perceive yourself amongst your peers. It was just all that. So then I, it was a paradigm shift of like, oh, okay, I'm not bipolar. And he goes, but you do meet like three fourths of the criteria for autism. Like you are so on the spectrum. And I was stunned because I thought in my in my little brain, I thought, well, people that have autism are socially stunted and, you know, have difficulty operating in regular, because at that and point. And that wasn't you. That wasn't me. Not at all. I had kept a job since I was 15, mm -hmm. got my driver's license on time, um, did pretty well in school, did really well in college. So it was, it was weird. Um, and it just definitely shifted my paradigm a lot, but it changed so much of how they took care of my mental health okay. because now it's behavioral. It's not chemical. So. Oh, and then is that the biggest difference? The difference is autism is a developmental disorder. Okay. It's not a mental illness. So that means that my brain is sh shaped differently. Okay. And as soon as we found that out, then they stopped putting me on heavy, heavy metals and they started putting me on like gentle anti-anxieties, gentle sleep meds, uh, sending me to like cognitive behavioral therapy, which helped me a lot more because now I was able to regulate um, these, these, these big feels um, myself rather than when I get really upset to just take more medication. So when, the, when they thought you were bipolar, mm -hmm. they were medicating you mm -hmm. for chemical imbalances. Yep, they were. Okay, which was making the problem worse probably, right? It was, yeah. They Increased. were doing what they thought was best. And, and so you were doing that for five years. That's a long time. It was a long time. Um, and then as soon as I got my autism diagnosis, then they were able to start treating me more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, in, let's see, it was December 2016 was my first real mental health crisis. Uh, and I remember it because it was my mother's birthday. It was the day after Christmas, which funny, funnily enough, I look back on this whole thing. And the for only thing I can think is I really shouldn't have fallen apart on my mother's birthday. Like, I wish I could have scheduled as, it. As like, if you could have as if controlled I could, that. <laughs> as if I could have scheduled it or something. Um, but I, I had a, a real, a true come apart that day. Um, I was kind of in a weird personal situation. I was, I was in a romantic relationship that was not good at all. Um. I had some things kind of going on in my personal life and I had a complete come apart and I've never had a come apart like that. And I had my whole bottle of lithium and I took it with me um, and was I was was going to take it and I was completely intent on taking it. But I, I was worried about my grandparents finding me because I was living with them at the time. So I thought I'm going to go do this in a parking lot somewhere. I'm just going to oh. take a bunch of meds and just fall asleep in my car and they'll find me the whatever um, and that kind of a thing. And <laughs> my little morbid uh, deathling brain. Is like, well, it's cold outside, so at least my body will be preserved or refrigerated, which is just... Oh. And, and you would think that through because you're so intelligent. <laughs> I'm like, at least so it's logical. Cold. Yeah. Oh um, so then I... Um, but I didn't. I had this whole bottle of meds, and the, I, this is funny. I drove to the parking lot, and I looked up, and I realized I had parked in the Instacare parking lot, like for oh. IHC, like the Instacare. And I kind of looked at it, and I thought, 
hmm, I should probably ask um, if, I don't know, I just, I didn't even know what I was going to do. So I walked into the nurse's desk and this poor nurse who handles things like broken bones um, comes in and she goes, how can I help you? And I just set my whole bottle of lithium on the counter and I just said, I need you to take this because I'm, I'm going to do something. And this poor woman who... The oh. Instacare is not made for this, you know. Right. Oh, this poor woman. She handled it like a champ. She jumped up. She goes, I'll be right back. And she grabs one of the doctors and he comes in and he was wonderful and sensitive. And I started, I, I fell apart, you know, as soon as he started to say what's going on, I just fell apart. Oh. It was, it was awful. My, they called my parents and they came and got me and took me to uh, Lakeview Medical Center in Bountiful. That was my first psychiatric hospitalization. I was there for about five days. Um, and the, all they did was was revamp my medication and send me out. Um, it was what, uh, th that's. I mean, that gives me chills hearing you tell the story. W what was it that prompted you to leave your car and go inside? Because you were in an Instacare facility and you thought maybe I should. What I I think my weird little irrational brain said I should probably go ask them if this is okay or like I don't. I don't it's it's irrational. I feel like, and honestly, when I look back on that on that day. There are lots of gaps in what I just remember being at one place, going to the next place. Oh, that's incredible. But the fact that I even went into this building and said, hey, is this okay if I take a whole bottle of lithium? What? Like, are you serious right now? I'm so glad you did. <laughs> what you. a blessing that you went in Me too. and had that conversation. It was wonderful. It was um, honestly life-changing. Um, a couple, and then, um, let's see, five years later. So this is 2020. This is the height of COVID. That's the only reason I can place this in my timeline. I had a second um, mental health crisis, and this one was a lot more uh, dubious. This one was a lot more unusual because the first one, I was able to completely put my finger on what was going on, and I could list to the doctor, this happened, this happened, this happened. But with my second one, something happened at work that was, in the grand scheme of things, not earth-shattering. But to me, it was earth-shattering, and I fell apart, and my husband was there, and he was wonderful. He's the hero of this whole story. Um, he remembered everything I had told him about my first psychiatric stay. So he's running around packing me a bag oh, and he's like, okay, we can't take these pajama pants because they have a drawstring in them. Okay. We can't take this because it's got pokey edges. Okay. We can't take this. And he's throwing things in a bag and I'm just sobbing on the floor, like a puddle on the floor. They took me to, um, McKady and, um, they held me and this is COVID. So they separated us immediately. Like the second we walked in the door, didn't get to say goodbye. And that was, that was really upsetting on top of everything else on top of yes everything exactly else. they bring me into take this. away your support system oh yep and they uh they strapped me to a bed for about 12 hours or so because they were looking for a bed for me at a different hospital oh, and they can't just like leave me unattended um which is fair um i calmed down about two hours later and then i was just strapped to a bed for a little while it was it was actually kind of nice to just rest and what was it <laughs> sort of uh sort of in this really sad kind of way but they found a bed for me at um, Ogden Regional. They sent me over by ambulance to Ogden Regional. And the most embarrassing part was that I used to teach EMTs because I had my EMT for 10 years. I was an advanced EMT and I taught at EMT Utah and two of the EMTs were my past students. Really? Oh my gosh. Just my life right now. Was, oh. They opened the doors to come and get me and they wheel in and we all had that moment of when you point at someone and squint your eyes and go, Ooh, I know, I know you. you. And they went, oh, you're, 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 uh, you're, you know, you're, you're mochi. You're, you're a teacher. And I was like, yes, I am. And oh, they were great though. I bet they were wonderful. They were they wonderful. They probably loved you. Oh, so to me, I'm like, this is so humiliating. But for them, I'm sure that they were just happy to be able to help. They uh, took me to Ogden Regional and I sent my, I sent, spent my second psychiatric stay there. And that one was wonderful. I cannot praise Ogden Regional highly enough. How for, long were you there? 
About five or six days. Okay. Same amount. But this is kind of where things, uh, this is a big benchmark in my life because um, they, that, they determined at this hospital stay that I had treatment-resistant depression, which autism by itself already comes with fun things like autism, or obviously comes with depression, anxiety, OCD, hyperfixation, paranoia, insomnia. It just comes with all these fun little attach- attaches, you know, fun little DLCs I didn't pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they, they determined that I had treatment-resistant depression, and I was sitting in a room with no windows, and the doctors came in, and they were teeming with excitement. I mean, they were trying really hard to not look like they were so excited. And I'm over here in my hospital gown, like, what's going on, man? And they said, we really don't want to push you into this. But we've been looking for someone to do ECT at this hospital for years, but we can't find someone that meets our criteria medically and the hospital's criteria from a liability standpoint. And you fit the bill because they're trying to find someone that doesn't have cardiovascular issues. They're trying to find someone that's not, you know, no diabetes, things like that. Young and healthy and and also checks the boxes. That's me. So they were and they were like, we really, really don't want to push you into it, but we would it would be really awesome if you and I just raised my hand and stopped them. And I said, I'll try anything like what, what do you have? And they were like, really? And the next week I was I was there for my first ECT and I was the first person at Ogden Regional to have ECT done. It was it was quite an experience. I don't know if you want to hear more about that. I was gonna say day. yes, will you explain yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. And explain what ECT is. Okay, so ETC ETC wow. ECT stands for electroconvulsive therapy. Um some people also say electroconvulsive treatment. It's just kind of either or. But what it is, is they're sending a controlled electrical impulse from one point to another um by metal plates. Uh, across your across your brain, and what they're doing is they're inducing a neurological seizure. It's basically a storm in the brain because they're trying to build new neural pathways. Because these new neural pathways create what are called catecholamines, and catecholamines are the building blocks of serotonin. Okay, so they're trying to create happy, happy chemicals. Okay, yeah, right. By doing that, um, and it's it's uh, it's quite a little procedure. I mean, it, it's very intensive, but it's so fast. I mean, in and out in ten minutes. Um, I, I mean, I'm talking like in anesthesia and then treatment is administered. It's like 10 minutes. It's really fast, but it's, it, it was intense. And how many treatments did you do? What? I, so I did, I did treatments for a year. So I, in the first, first month was three treatments a week, Okay. which was intense. I think so. If I do the math, it's quite, quite a few, quite a few, 20, 30. Right. Oh, yeah. over a year's time. Mm-hmm. So they they put you out. So you're completely out mm-hmm. under anesthesia for this. Yep. Completely anesthetized. Um, they put a little, um, so I'll get technical for a second here, but what they're doing is they put, when they wheel you into the operating room and it is an operative procedure, even though there's no incision made, they, they give you a paralytic um, after they anesthetize you. And the whole point of this is if you know anything about seizures, you know that there's lots of different types and the big one that everyone thinks of when you say the word seizure is they think of a grand mal seizure or a tonic-clonic seizure. And those are the ones where you flop all over the place. Those are the ones that scare everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they're inducing a seizure in my brain, so they don't want me flopping all over the table. So they get, they administer anesthesia and give me a paralytic. They gave me succilocholine. And um, they put a little tiny little blood pressure cuff-looking thing on my ankle, and they inflate it before they give me the paralytic. And this is because... They're monitoring my electrical activity and my motor activity because they indicate where you are with the seizure. So when my foot stops twitching, because they inflate the cuff so that the paralytic can't go into your foot. Oh, okay. When your foot stops twitching, then my motor seizure is over. But they're also watching all my electrical activity. But they put four electrodes on your head. They do two in the front and one behind each ear. Um, They put this disgusting gel stuff in your hair, which is an uh, an insulator or a conductor. I'm not sure which one. 
Um, and then the metal plates go on the top and on the side of your head, and they're sending. It's basically a, it's it's a controlled circuit from one plate to the other and to just, to create mm-hmm. uh, to, a disruption, right? A, yep. Wow, isn't that intense? It, it's very intense, and it sounds. <laughs> Was it painful? I mean, you didn't feel anything because you're out, but... Right. Um, I did have some side effects. I did have, like, a really sore jaw because you would... They put a, a mouth guard in your mouth because you clench your teeth and... Okay. So I did have, like, weird things like sore jaw and body aches and stuff, but, I mean, it, the the procedure itself was was fine. And and tell us, what does it do for you? So... Um, it creates happiness pathways, creates more neuron... Neural pathways, right? Yep, creates new okay. neural pathways, and you know it was it was amazing for me. In fact, I saw results after the very first treatment, where uh, my husband would come and pick me up because these procedures were at like six thirty in the morning. So they would pick me up at five. I would my husband would drive me to the hospital and drop me off, and and because he couldn't go inside, um, um, I would be done by like seven. He'd bring me home, and I would sleep for a little while, and then get up. And the first time after I got up, I woke up naturally at about eleven. I sat up in bed, swung my legs off, sat there for a second, and stood up and went, this house could use a cleaning. And I just started doing things. I started doing laundry and cleaning. And it's not that I don't normally, because those are all things we have to do in our houses. But this was the first time that I felt proactive and thought, I'm going to clean this place up because I like it when my space is clean. Or I want things to be ordered. And it was the first time in my life that I wasn't bogged down by, oh, I really don't want to do this. Or it's just... really. And everyone has things they dislike. I'm not talking about chores you dislike, but right. people who experience this kind of depression, it is a brain fog. It is, there are weights on my ankles that stop me from doing almost anything. It's almost indescribable unless you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I, it, yeah. So I was talking to a friend year, a couple of years ago whose um, son, exp- well, so he, he was always angry. Mm-hmm. And so finally they were able to put him on medication. Mm-hmm. And she said later... After he'd been on the medication for a couple months, he said, Mom, this is the first time in my life I don't feel rage. She said, is this how you, you know, he asked, is this how you always feel? And she said, yes, this is a normal way to feel. But he'd never experienced it before. And it was such an emotional experience because she didn't understand what he'd been feeling. And he didn't understand what he'd been feeling because he'd never felt anything different. Mm -hmm. So tell me what it feels like now for you. Oh, man. Um. Honestly, it just gives me hope because for a long time, I couldn't envision myself living past 30 um, just with, and it was weird. It was like this weird fact that I had accepted in my life is I'm like, I'm not going to live past 30 because I can't imagine living past 30 um, just with how painful everything is and how hard everything is. I mean, little things, anxiety just twists everything into this unmanageable little nest that makes everything so much more difficult than it needs to be. And I fought that uphill fight every day you know, basically through my entire life. Um, My depression didn't really manifest until high school. So kind of went, so anxiety is more of my little backpack buddy than depression is. But um, the very first time after ECT and that depression was lifted, that fog was lifted. And I thought, I I envisioned myself living longer. It sounds really strange, but I was no longer sitting there trying to figure out what my tombstone was going to look like when I turned 35. I was over here thinking, you know, I, I would really like to show my children this one day. Or really, this is really yeah, just a hope for a future and crazy things. Like I start picking out paint colors for the downstairs because I'm like, well, I'm gonna live long enough to to repaint the downstairs. Like these things that I have put on hold in my life because I didn't think I would make it further is astounding. And you didn't realize just how many things you had put caps on, so to say, until you take all the caps off and then you go, I can live my life. 
it's such an interesting perspective as you're speaking to me and, and sharing the story because I've, I've, I always think about, I always think about, okay, what will people say at my funeral? Who mm-hmm. will speak? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have thoughts like that all the time. Yeah. And I don't, cons- I don't think I'm depressed. I don't think that I'm, mm-hmm. I've got this death wish. But to me, that's a normal thought process. But I have talked to my kids and they said, no, that is not normal. <laughs> that is not normal to think about things like that. So how did you, at what point did you realize, okay, I'm not just sort of kind of a gloomy kind of, I, I mean, my perspective, is, it's not a personality thing. It's an actual, it's an actual problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- were you in your teens when you realized, and maybe your parents said, boy, you're really depressed what's going on, or you realized it, or you realized your anxiety was at a high level? At what point is it a problem, I guess? Okay. Should so, people notice? Yeah. Um, this is a question that I, I, I hear a lot, not, not to me, but I hear this question a lot where they say, well, when is, too, when is my depression too much? And for me, I, I've had anxiety my entire life. And so I operated in a high state of alert all of the time. So that's normal to me. So when you say things like I, that story where you say, like, he didn't realize how angry he was. I'm like, that's me and anxiety. I don't know what it feels like to just go somewhere in public and be like, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, we're having a good time. I'm constantly scanning exits. I'm constantly checking where all the defibrillators are. I'm checking where the fire extinguishers are because I'm, I'm, I'm preliminarily panicking about everything. Um, which is the kind of person you want on your team, by the way. Absolutely. If something terrible say, happens. You, you keep us all alive. They're like, I'm, I've already thought about this. Um, when I was in high school, though, it was my sophomore year. So it was 2009. Um, and I, 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 I don't exactly remember the exact moment, but that entire school year was just really dark. And, and I got depressed because I stopped enjoying the things that I enjoyed because I was big into debate. At, at the time, I really liked theater. Um, I, was, I was reading a lot up until that year. Um, I didn't want to hang out with my friends anymore. I stopped thinking ahead. So when they, because at that point they start doing college aptitude tests and they start saying, start thinking about what you want to do with the rest of your life. And I, there was no piece of me that was looking forward to that. And it wasn't the whole, some people don't look forward to it because they're not sure because they're nervous or afraid, but I wasn't looking forward to it because I just didn't see the point. You just didn't think you'd live long enough Mm -hmm. to, to do any of that. Nope. I was like, this is bleak. And it was almost anger-inducing because they talked about it almost every day of like, when you get to, you want to start taking AP classes because this is college credit. And mm-hmm. every and it felt like everything that they were pushing us to do was, I felt like they were doing it on purpose because they knew that I didn't want to go or something like that because your your reality distorts. Okay. So you felt it very directed at you. I felt like it just was super directed you. at me. Yeah. And it just made me angry because anger is a secondary emotion always. So after I got over the doom and gloom, I was just angry. I was like, why do these people keep pushing this on me when they have no idea that I have no intent of living past, you know, this whatever. And that was, I think that was the moment because I had never said aloud to myself, I don't want to live past this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Up until then, I just got angry and couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't until some, I started to examine like why I was angry that I thought, oh, wow, I, I really don't see not just a future for myself, but I don't see myself in the future at all. Um, that was, was that of, was that scary when you realized that? It was really scary because as soon as I was able to put words onto it, mm-hmm. then it was a serious overhanging um, threat all the time. It was like hanging out in a cave that you know is going to crumble at any second. Yeah, I can't. I mean, <sighs> I that would be a hard way to live once you verbalized it. Mm-hmm. And so, how were you able to move forward at that point in your life where you still went to college, you still accomplished so many things, you still got married? Oh, okay. This is a weird one. So, um, are you familiar with Twilight? I am. Okay. So 
something you need to know about me is I, uh, one of the things I do now is I'm a professional cosplayer. So I dress up in costumes professionally. I've cosplayed around the world. I've been invited to Italy. I've cosplayed, you know, in Europe and all these different places. But it all started with Twilight, and, which is funny because I was not a Twilight fan. In fact, I found it to be very annoying because I couldn't figure out why everyone was pining over these teenage boys. And I just was annoyed, so annoyed by this. But in 2009, the second Twilight movie came out. It was New Moon. And my mom took me to the Caseville Theater to go see it because I was really depressed. I think I'd been in bed at that point for five days. I call it a bed binge when you're just in bed. In bed. I was missing school. I mean, and that's when my mom knew it was serious because I liked school and I was out here missing school. She took me to New Moon. I saw uh, an actor that I didn't know before play this character that I was astounded by. And then I I leached onto that, 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 uh, that person and that character and I kind of fell into the fandom a little bit. So I started reading fan fiction, uh, looking at all the fan art, th- talking about it with other Twilighters, you know, role-playing, that kind of a thing, um, and got really, really into Michael Sheen. Okay. If any of you know Michael Sheen, who is my darling Welshman that I adore, um, <laughs> I got really into him, and he's the thing that got me through high school because I would look at his IMDb page every week. Really? And would check to see what he was releasing because if he was releasing something, then I was like, well, I can't end my life because... Because that's he's got a up. movie coming out next year, or oh, he's in a TV neat. series now, or you know. So th- th- I know it's you weren't probably weren't expecting that kind of an answer. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't faith. It wasn't friends. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was something though. Something that. Mm-hmm. And and that's what that's what everyone needs to hear. I think yeah. is it's not going to maybe be what we think it will be. No. But as long as you find something, and it gives me a lot of empathy for people that are really hardcore into something that people don't understand. So like when mm-hmm. you come across like BTS fans. Uh, you know, Swifties, um, Bronies, uh, th- that fall into that weird, like, sub, um, fall into that weird, like, what's it called? Like a subgenre mm-hmm. or a, or a, um, of society that people look down upon. They do. They look down on, on rabid fans of anything. But it just gives me this empathy for them because I'm like, they are holding on to this because it is their life preserver. So until the ocean's not deep anymore, they need that life preserver. That is a really good perspective. I'm really, I'm very glad that you shared that because... You're right. I don't understand. I don't. Yeah. And because it's not been part of my reality. And so, and we need to be a world full of people who are empathetic mm-hmm. and compassionate and kind. Mm-hmm. Sandra, how did your mom and your dad, how did they support you? Because my I know they're parents. both wonderful people. They, my poor parents, they did their very best. They, my mom was, um, was constantly constructing things for me to go to and do. And she would always point things out like, Hey, look, there's a play that's auditioning next week. Or, you know, Oh, there's a, there's, this is happening. And, um, she was really supportive. She, she drove me to all my debate meets and stuff. Um, she was, my mother is excellent. And I I know, you know, my cute mom, she is delightful. I love her. She's great. Truly one of my heroes in my life. And she's wonderful. And my dad was, was just my dad. He just was my bud. He was my friend and he would, he was super supportive. And when I say supportive, I mean, he he didn't understand it. I know he didn't, but he never, ever said, hey, you need to stop crying. Like, knock it off, man. Come on. Like, pull yourself together. Never did anything like that. He was always like, okay, take a second. Like, this poor man. I know I was so scary. kind. Your parents are wonderful. They're wonderful. They're in Bountiful now. They live in Bountiful and up by Eaglewood Golf Course. Oh, good for them. I know. That's good. I'm happy for them. Well, I mean, as a parent, I mean, I, I'm listening to your story and it's not, it's not, un- well, it's unique in that you were able to find a solution. Mm-hmm. And that's what's incredible. But I think a lot of people find, will probably find, uh, identify with you because life is, is hard and sometimes it's hard. And 
I have a daughter who, Alexa, she's a darling little thing, and, and she didn't like to go to school. And so instead of being empathetic and kind, I would just say, fuck up. You need to go to school. You, yeah, what's yeah. wrong with you? You love your friend. Go to school. I wasn't, I wasn't, and, and as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking, my gosh, she must, she might have had some anxiety about school. But I didn't, I didn't know that. And so I just say, no, you're going to school, drop, drop you off, go to school. And so I think we can all be more compassionate and understanding because what we don't understand, we don't understand. No, and you know, honestly, I mean, you in your mind were looking out for her because you ha- she has to go to school. That's how you keep your citizenship up. You know, that's <laughs> right. That's how you learn. That's how you learn. And some kids, and uh, and the thing about kids though is their developmental stages are so ambiguous that sometimes it really is weird reasons. Like I don't want to school go to school because I have a test today, but sometimes you do come across kids that have serious anxiety about a kid in their class that's mean to them. Or, and I mean, and I'm not talking about just, just standard bullying, but like there are some kids that are, that get humiliated in front of their class and that can be really damaging to oh, absolutely. young kids. Right. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and, and I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that you did the best that you could have done. My parents, I think I just scared them. I think I, they just didn't know what was, they knew what was going on. They knew that there was some inner tumult, but they, they didn't know what was going on. So they just treated me delicately and just kind of made sure that I came out of my room every day. I well, guess. and that's that's the best thing for you, right? Mm-hmm. Just to give you something to look forward to. Yeah. You talked about feeling really depressed and really you had some suicidal moments there. Did you have them as a teenager also? Um, I did. Um, I At one point in my sophomore year, I was researching suicide because I was, I was being very academic about it. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I don't want it to be messy and I don't want it to be a a half attempt, you know, and I want it to be. And so I'm over here doing research on like, what's the least painful method and what's the fastest method. And I had a little spreadsheet. Like I was very organized about this. Oh yes. It was, it's embarrassing after the fact, but, um, but I didn't see it as like this, like really sad, heavy event in my life. I almost felt like it was a doctor's appointment where, you know how, when you look at the calendar three weeks and you're like, oh, I've got a doctor's appointment in three weeks. I looked at it like that of like, oh man, suicide's in three weeks. Like, and, and you were sort of, it's just one of the things to check off your list? I was content with it. Yeah, like it. What, so as you're talking about that, I mean, what did you think was, would happen afterwards? Did you think through that? Did you, or was it just, okay, it's over. I don't have to have feelings. I don't have to mm-hmm. exist. Well, I think part of me pushed that away because if I thought about how it would devastate my family, then I wouldn't have been able to go through with it, which and maybe that was always in the back of your mind. And I think maybe. it might have been. And it, it just makes it so hard because you, if you think about how people are going to react to it, then you just continue on with your pain. And now you have guilt. On top and now of everything you have, else. Yes. But if you don't think about it, then to you, it's a lot less. You're, you're relieving your suffering. You focus on your, it's a very selfish thing. Um, but at the same time, self, uh, some suicidal ideation is actually incredibly selfless because it's people who lose their identity and start to say, my kids would be better off without me. My friends don't really love me. I'm a burden to my family. Like that, when you start hearing those kinds of things, you think that's a really, it's a twisted, selfless ideation. Yeah. This is not, I don't want to live anymore. This it's, is, they would be better off without me. So you feel like you're doing them a favor. Yeah. It's, it's. You justify it's, it that way. So as you think about your future now, mm-hmm. and you're able to think about your future and get excited about it, when you have children, mm-hmm. when what will you do differently, I guess, if if you have children that might have these sim- similar thoughts and challenges or their friends do? Mm-hmm. Now, knowing what you know, 
how will that help you to think? I think the biggest thing. And what advice basically do you have? Oh, um, I think making it a, 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 an open conversation. And that sounds so dumb. And I know that some people get kind of frustrated in this political climate about educating our children about sensitive topics. But kids are feeling depressed and anxious earlier and earlier in their lives. They are. There are studies that show that our children are hitting puberty faster because of the preservatives in our food, which means that they're going to start feeling these changes and these shifts in paradigm and these chemical changes. These, we could potentially start having depressed fourth graders. And um, we, don't, we, we do a better job of it now that social media is where it is, but no one talked about it. When I was a kid and I, my grandmother admitted to me that she struggled with depression, it was earth shattering to me because I truly felt like I was the only one, the only one, and no one else saw it. Um, and then I now on social media, it's like I, my 10 year high school reunion was a short time ago. And I was just kind of looking up some people that I had gone to high school with. And a lot of them talk about postpartum depression. They talk about um, social anxiety. They talk about um, like OCD behaviors. And, they, and it all starts with when I was a kid, when I was in high school. And it just makes me want to, it just makes me, it bends me backwards because I'm like, I truly felt like I was all by myself. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like drowning in a sea of people and right. no one does a thing. So I think with kids... Um, giving names to feelings is important because otherwise they're just big feels and big feels are, are painful. Um, I mean, think about like the very first time that you ever felt like unbridled rage or like di- like crushing disappointment or grief. Like that's 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 a one that people come across a lot is the very first time they ever feel true grief. Um, and to sit down and say, well, you know, sometimes people get anxious about something and you need to differentiate, though, that anxiety and nervousness are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Are you nervous about something versus does this give you anxiety? Because um, anxiety is a, is a disorder. So if it stops them from doing something in their life, if it, if it makes them avoid places and people and whatever, then that's anxiety. But like I'm nervous about my test today is not anxiety. Um, I, normal anxiety, I guess. But being able to just sit with your child and, and listen to them and give them words for how they're feeling and then being able to say, tell me about how you feel right now, because you might want to label it anxiety. Because like for me, if my kid said I was anxious, I'd be like, oh, I know exactly what to do. Like, mm-hmm. OK, good. Um, but sometimes you want to put that label on your child because then, you know, and then you can move forward. But sometimes that's not what they're feeling and you don't want to lead them too much because then exactly they, because then they will tell you what you want to hear. Well, and that's the that's the cost, that's the thing that I've always been really worried about because when my daughter would say, "I don't want to go to school, mm-hmm. my tummy hurts," I didn't want to call it anxiety because I didn't want to label her. Mm-hmm. Just kind of in a similar way that, in a simple simplified way of being diagnosed, misdiagnosed as bipolar. Mm-hmm. You said when you were told you were bipolar, you associated that with yourself and mm-hmm. in your behaviors, and it meant something to you. And then they re-diagnosed you and said, no, you're autistic mm-hmm. and you're on the spectrum. That totally changed your paradigm. So that, I think that's that's a challenge and the struggle as, as parents and as people. And these parents, I mean, parents have always had it hard, but things are so different now than they were when I was a kid. We have social media now. I mean, that creates anxious and depressed children because they are seeing things that are not real. And I'm a cosplayer. And I can tell you that at most everything I post has been retouched, has been edited in some way. But these kids, they they hear that. But they, they don't believe it. But they don't believe it. And so, I mean, so I'm just saying that like parents now and in the future just have a different kind of battle ahead of them. 
And I think that it's important that we at least maintain an open communication with our kids. And even if it doesn't go well, you need to make sure that they know that that communication channel is open because one day they might come to you and say, mom, I, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. And then you can say, well, you know, let, let's talk about that. Because if you don't, then the next morning is not going to go the way you want it to go. Well, you're absolutely right in that. And I really appreciate the fact that you're telling us that we should give their feelings we should give their feelings words and, mm -hmm. and names and so that they can communicate it because your little brother that was having a breakdown in Costco mm -hmm. didn't have the words probably to explain what was going on, but you did. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations are so important. It is. And I know that sometimes they can become pretentious in, in like this, this social climate where, I don't know, I see this a lot too where sometimes they discourage children from talking about sensitive subjects. And I, I understand discretion. Like if that child is too young to be talking about suicide, I don't know if I would scare them with that. But it is important to say things like, when you get really sad, what do you think about? And they can say, well, when I get really, really sad, I want to slam my hand in the kitchen cabinet. Or I, I punch my wall really hard when I'm mad or all kinds of things. And then if you start to talk about it further, then you start to hear like self-harming behaviors. And then you can say, oh, well, let's, let's find something else for you to do. And then you can in introduce things like texture items, which is like, I'm on the spectrum, so texture is a big thing for me. Most of the foods I don't like are because they have weird textures. Like cottage cheese is of the devil. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but like ice and heat are really good for me. So like when I do feel those weird impulses to like hit something really hard, um, because, I, because I, I'm trying to bring awareness back to my body because you start to kind of lose contact with your body, I guess, kind when you start feeling numb. big feelings. I do ice. So I'll hold ice cubes in my hand or I'll put my feet on something warm and that, those kinds of things. But it, if you can, it kind of grounds you. That's interesting. Yeah. Grounded. That's the word I'm looking for. It's grounding. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And um, it just, it can be, it can be a minefield, but it's a necessary minefield. You have to go through it and you can either go through it delicately or you can risk injury. Well, and you're really, you're really correct in, in saying be brave enough to have conversations mm -hmm. because I never, well, I didn't want to talk about anxiety because I didn't want her to think she she had anxiety, you know, but it would have been a good conversation to, to have yeah. to say, well, how are you feeling and what are your thoughts like you, like you mentioned? So mm -hmm. these are all really helpful. Tell me about your future now, <sighs> now that, now that you can move forward and you, and you see a future for yourself. Yeah. So, um, I actually, so I have a master's degree now. Do you really? I do. I know. You are exceptional. Oh, thank you. I got Good it. In, you. I got it in a year too. I got my master's in one year. Thank you. Um, I it's in it's in leadership. Um, my future man. I dream of having a doctorate's degree, but I don't know what in. So I don't know if that'll if that'll ever happen. I do imagine children in my future, which is crazy to me because my whole life I never saw myself getting married or having children. And then when you are depressed, you think I don't want I don't want those. Like that just seems like an issue. But now I'm turning thirty next year. This year? Next year. Um, in May. My birthday's in May. Um, and uh, I, I see children and probably one or two. Um, I live in a house that I, that I love with my husband that I adore. Um, I, I, I work right now with the Department of Corrections, and I think I might stay with them for a little while because I'm, I'm passionate about uh, reform, and I'm passionate about making change from within and those kinds of things. Um, I don't know. I, I do cosplay. And so I see a lot of creativity in my future. I really hope that my kids like something artistic because I can teach them and connect with them and I can teach them all my things that I know. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, if they don't, if they love sports, then I will be at every game because what they what they like matters to me. 
and I, I just want them to be happy. It's funny how now my purpose in life is not make it to the next day. My purpose in life is let's make life wonderful for another person. That's neat. My children. Yeah. So That's... I don't have any kids yet, but. But you will. And and I see you as a speaker. Mm-hmm. You're so well-spoken. Thank you. And interesting. I, I love something. Like if I could get a public speaking gig somehow, I don't even know what I would really talk about, but I'd love it. You know what? I can connect you to a bunch of organizations that would love to have you because what you have to share is so interesting and so helpful and you're going to save lives and you probably already have as you've shared your story. Do you share it very often? Uh, So this year is actually the first time I've ever shared it in graphic detail like I just did with you. Um, And I shared it on, so Twilight, still a huge thing in my life. I cosplay at their festival every year and it's sold out festival. People come from all over the world to this tiny little town in Washington, Forks, Washington where they have this Twilight Festival. It's actually, it's called Forever Twilight and Forks, if anyone's interested. But I have gotten a lot of um, opportunities from that. This last year, I had the ability to go on Ashley Green's podcast. Ashley Green played Alice Cullen in all the movies. Oh, really? Yes, she did. She just had her baby. That's great. Um, Baby's name is Corey. But she uh, had me on her podcast, which I was like blown away that they'd want to talk to little me. Um, who's just a cosplayer at this festival, but that was the first time that they, no one had ever asked, like, tell us, tell us your story or tell us your, your full story, not just tell us about your anxiety. They said, tell us your full story. And I don't know what possessed me to just tell them the whole thing and you on camera. Yeah. Good and I just you. told them the whole thing. And I've had many people reach out, Twilight fans, especially that say, you understand, like you understand exactly what it's like. And I say, yes, yes, I do. Um, and it's, it's startling to me because I felt like I was alone. Yeah. Oh, I felt like I was alone. It's it's weirdly comforting, but also really sad when people say, I went through the exact same thing. And they felt alone, too. And they felt alone. And there's so many people, gosh, gosh. that are struggling. I know. It, it breaks my heart. It makes me so sad because no one should have to suffer like that. No one should. And and they won't the more they hear these stories and these experiences. So thank you for sharing yours. Thank you. It's been really interesting to talk to you. And I'm so glad to see every wonderful, incredible thing you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm with Corrections right now. And uh, do you want to jump into cosplay? Or? Yes, yeah. So cosplay, professional costume uh-huh. dressing, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. A- and you do a lot of service work with that. I do. So I work with a lot of 501c nonprofit organizations. So I work with Millie's Princess Foundation and Miracle Mascots and the Tim Tebow Foundation, Toys for Tots, um, that kind of a thing. And it's really extraordinary because I started my cosplay journey. Arrow, the character in Twilight that I loved, played by Michael Sheen, is the first character I ever cosplayed. And I did it because I love that character. So I went to Forks, Washington in 2014, dressed as Arrow, and it was awful. I'd look at this first iteration of this costume and, oh, I hate it. But um, I went up there and then they said, hey, you are really good at interacting with fans and interacting with guests. Would you come up here and do this again next year? And I've been doing it since 2016 every year. So that's what made me go, this this could be something. Like, this could be a thing. And then... um, that same year, one of my friends approached me and said, hey, you're tall and pale. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> she said, would you um, That's be funny. With-? I know. That she literally, she was like, hey, you're tall and pale. Like, I am. That's true. Uh, why do you ask? And she goes, I really need someone to be Snow White for two hours for this event um, in Layton in like a couple months. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, sounds fun. I like dress up. You know, that sounds cool. This is before I really knew that cosplay could be a thing. Um, so I showed up at this event and it was a Millie's Princess Foundation. It was called Hope Kids. Um, I do it with Millie's now, but it was an event where they were doing a royal ball for terminally ill children. And I didn't quite grasp what that meant until I walked down the stairs. You have your princess entrance. So I'm like doing my little wave and 
this little girl runs across the open space at the bottom of the stairs and just gives me this huge hug and she had no hair and she had scars like all across her, her her skull and from all the surgeries that she'd done and she was dressed as Belle and she was so excited to see me and I just gave her this big hug and all I could think about was they told us not to stop at the bottom of the stairs because you're going to impede traffic and so I just grabbed this little girl and said let's go stand over here and Desert News got a picture of me of really me- that's kneeling so with this little girl but um and um that was when I realized that cosplay was so much more could be so much more meaningful not just to me but to these I got no I mean I got there's tons of pictures of me flying around with Peter Pan and playing with kids and we did singing we read stories and I was just over here having fun like I'm just over here like I love dressing up and then I get emails weeks and months after the fact from these family members that say hey our daughter passed away last night but oh. she was she always talked about how much fun she had at this ball you know and and we have all the princesses there so there's like a big cast but um the first one I got sent an obituary and I was in the obituary picture with their daughter. Really? And oh, oh my gosh, Tammy, it shattered oh. my world because I thought this matters so much. That's so neat. It was, it was, oh, it was overwhelming. And then, but funnily enough, when I looked at that picture, my first thought was that wig looks awful. Oh. And I thought I need to step it up. I'm like, <laughs> I need to step it up. And I did. And I, and I used it as an excuse because I would say, well, these kids deserve a great looking Snow White. So I started to learn and started to figure out wigs and how they're constructed and what makes a good wig. And I started learning how to sew. And um, Really? I, yeah. For your no, own costumes? I did. I taught myself oh, how to sew. So and neat. I do. And it has expanded into this awesome opportunity because now I'm with the Fanix Cosplay Hall of Fame. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I'm the last one. I'm number five. So hmm. that's cool. Oh, my gosh. That's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, delightful. Like when people think about their Patronus, like the happy thought that makes their Patronus, that's, that's mine, yours. is being put in the Hall of Fame. That's but really neat. Now I get to deal with all these amazing other cosplay groups like Heroic and Legacy and um, uh, and the Cosplay Coalition, which I run. And they do service projects multiple times a week. I mean, people will call them and say, hey, we're doing Toys for Tots this weekend. We need superheroes. And they'll be like, cool. And they'll just send... 20 or 30 superheroes out there and all they do is just receive toys and say thank you and take pictures and and these cosplayers live for this that is really that i i, oh, I you've yeah. introduced me to a world that i'm not familiar with at all it's it, it's it, incredible it is and i feel like i have to go into this spiel when i explain it because if i don't then you're like oh so you like costumes hmm? <laughs> you like dressing up and you don't okay. understand that i'm like okay but if i didn't wear these costumes anywhere mm-hmm. it wouldn't have the same level of of, uh, absolutely yeah it's special just incredible memories i mean oh for these gosh. especially for these children that this is their wish yeah and you make their dreams come true yep the, my most popular one that i do so now neat. is mary poppins she's my most requested i do lots of mary poppins which is great because all the disney princesses are like 15 or 16 years old and i'm six feet tall so so you get perfect, to, yeah you get to stand out i get to stand and out and be gorgeous oh thank you that's so nice you are so interesting thank you oh, for thank being you. here I, I see a really incredibly bright and big future for you. Mm, you. And it's it's really awesome that you see one for yourself as well. I do. Um, I do now. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful too. Thank you. Thank you. To all my podcast listeners, thank you for listening. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Please leave comments and please leave suggestions for future guests. And most importantly, subscribe. Thank you.